Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, um, we are on class three of a um, jhana meditation study, uh, structured study. And um, John introduced the first class. It was an introduction of jhana meditation. If you want to listen, you can go back. It was on Tuesday of last week. Um, And that's on the website. But it's what we just did. Jhana meditation is, is what we what we just practiced. The second class and the next well actually the next six classes after that first introduction is on the Satipatthana Sutta. Um, so this is the second class on the Satipatthana Sutta. And in the first class, um, John talked about uh, introduced the first part of the Sutta, which is the four foundations of mindfulness or the four frames of reference being mindful of feelings, thoughts, breath in the body, feelings, thoughts, and um, overall state of your mind. Um, And that part of the sutta, the four foundations of mindfulness, the four frames of reference, is like the ABCs and the one, two, threes of Dhamma practice. It's the really fundamental place that anyone can go back to, even as a brand new Dhamma practitioner or an incredibly seasoned practitioner who's in crisis, can use that first part of the sutta to get back, get reunite your mind and your body. When we focus our mind on our breathing, the mind calms, the body calms, and we reunite reunite our mind and our body, which allows us to be able to orient to what is going on in the mind and what is going on in the body. So... I, I was talking to one of my friends today and uh, she was telling me that she started, um, she's, she's like well on into her practice of paddle boarding. She's very excited about it. Um, she's had this paddle board for a year and a half and she lives on a lake and she's only just started using it the last two weeks. And she's been saying to me, I really want to do this. I really want to try it. I really want to try it. But I just, you know, I, I'm nervous. I'm afraid I'm going to make fool of myself. And I'm not sure. Blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know, hey, why don't you just like YouTube? Like just YouTube will like learn how to paddleboard video. And just like find out some like some of the beginning like stuff that we need to do to like learn how to paddleboard. And she was like, she called me up today and she's like, that was such great advice, man. I just, somebody just taught me like the turns. She's like, I can't get up now. And she's like, I'm paddleboarding, you know? And like that to me was a great kind of analogy to how we think about meditation and even practicing the Dhamma. We think this is something that we're supposed to be good at or we're just supposed to know how to do. 
But the reality is we need to be taught how to focus our minds, how to concentrate, how to focus on our breath, how to calm our body, how to see what's happening in our minds. And that is what this sutta is teaching us. So in that first um, introduction, second class, first part of this sutta, um, that's what John talked about, the four frames of reference. The next part, let's see, wait a minute, kind of went off book here, so let me see what I, what I also wanted to say. So that first part of the sutta is teaching you how to be in your body, how to experience what is occurring without self-identifying with what's occurring. It's teaching you how to practice experiencing life as life occurs. So we bring our minds to our breath going in and our breath going out. We get distracted and we think about something else and then, oh, 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 bring back it to, okay, what's happening? Okay, and also, oh, wow, okay, I've got my breath. Got my breath for a couple breaths. Oh, there's a thought. Can I stay with the thought long enough to watch it arise and pass away? Maybe not. Maybe the thought comes and now I'm off, you know, on my paddleboard when I'm supposed to be meditating. Um, that's what happens. And then we realize that's happening. And maybe you only realize it every five minutes when you get your little ding on your insight timer. Or, you know, John says, you know, bring yourself back, the five minute callback. That's okay because you're practicing and you're learning how to experience life as life occurs. Once you get good at that, then you can start to recognize the self-identification when you're kind of in the middle of it. And that's what this next part of the sutta is, is telling you how to do. When you're not on your cushion and you're out in the world and you're well into self-identifying with something and you realize it in a moment you you realize oh wait this i'm experiencing ill will right now i have ill will in my mind or oh you know i'm i really want that i really want another piece of pizza and i'm 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 craving for that sensual desire so this these next few classes and it's ta it's going to take four more classes to kind of get into all the different ways we self-identify buddha the buddha gave us all these ways to recognize how we get caught up in stuff and how to in the moment when we recognize it release it so this class is going to just be on the five hindrances and the five clinging aggregates so the five hindrances is sensual desire, ill will, laziness or drowsiness. That's just one, laziness or drowsiness. Restlessness or anxiety, that's its own. And then uncertainty, skepticism, or doubt. And then the five clinging aggregates is clinging to form, clinging to feelings, clinging to perceptions, 
clinging to fabrications and clinging to consciousness and clinging to each one of these form, feelings, perceptions, fabrications, and consciousness is fine. No problem. That happens. It's part of having a human life. But it's identifying with those things. That's the problem. That's what clinging to. That's what we have clinging to in front of it. So John introduces this part of the sutta. So these are his words that I'm just going to read. Notice, notice the guarantees offered by the Buddha. When one completely abandons a hindrance, it will not arise again. Completely abandoning the hindrances is a reasonable goal and a skillful reference to progress. So that's another excellent point that as we progress, we get and we can recognize these things that are happening in our life. The self-identification process is happening in our life when we're not on the cushion. And if we see it, it gives us that urge to continue practicing. It helps us in the moment feel better and it encourages us to continue to practice. So here's the Buddha's words. Remain mindful of the quality of mind in reference to the five hindrances. When sensual desire is present, be mindful that sensual desire is present. When sensual desire is not present, be mindful that sensual desire is not present. Be mindful of abandoning sensual desire when it arises. Be mindful that when sensual desire has been completely abandoned, sensual desire will not rise again in the future. When ill will is present, be mindful that ill will is present. When ill will is not present, be mindful that ill will is not present. Be mindful of abandoning ill will when it arises, ill will. Be mindful that when ill will has been completely abandoned, ill will will not rise again in the future. When laziness and drowsiness is present, be mindful that laziness and drowsiness is present. When laziness and drowsiness is not present, be mindful that laziness and drowsiness is not present. Be mindful of abandoning laziness and drowsiness when it arises. Be mindful that when laziness and drowsiness has been completely abandoned, laziness and drowsiness will not arise again in the future. When restlessness and anxiety is present, be mindful that restlessness and anxiety is present. When restlessness and anxiety is not present, be mindful that restlessness and anxiety is not present. Be mindful of abandoning restlessness and anxiety when it arises. Be mindful that when restlessness and anxiety has been completely abandoned, restlessness and anxiety will not rise again in the future. When doubt and uncertainty is present, be mindful that doubt and uncertainty is present. When doubt and uncertainty is not present, be mindful that doubt and uncertainty is not present. Be mindful of abandoning doubt and uncertainty when it arises. Be mindful that when doubt and uncertainty has been completely abandoned, doubt and uncertainty will not arise again in the future. In this way, one reminds mindful of the quality of mind and the arising and the passing away of, of the qualities of mind, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. This is how one remains mindful of the quality of mind in and of itself. So, in the, in the first part of this sutta, the four frames of reference, mindful of thought of breath in the body, 
thoughts, feelings, and quality of mind. Quality of mind is being elaborated on here in the rest of the sutta. And this is one of the ways of recognizing the quality of your mind, is to recognize the hindrances. See if they're present. If they are, recognize that. If they're not, recognize that. It's harder to recognize when they're not present. The reason why the, the Buddha is pointing these things out is because these qualities of mind, which are just qualities of mind, are really distracting. They're really likely to make us self-identify. We're really likely to become averse to ill will. We're likely to, become, to, to chase after, cling to, crave for essential desire. So we tend to self-identify with them. And then we get lost in the story of laziness or ill will or central desire. And we're churning away on those things and telling ourselves a story about what's going on there. Where is it coming from? How, how, why do I feel this way? What do I need to protect myself from in order to get away from that feeling or that hindrance or why it's good you know why i should be right? or i need to engage in the hindrance why, yeah i need to like hold on to it I, I, I'm, I'm now like really stoked for some some good ill will <laughs> because i have a damn good reason that's right. justified <laughs> yep and then more justification and then yeah. more turning away and so the buddhist direction is when we recognize those things allow them to arise and pass away on their own while remaining mindful of the breath and the body. We don't need to do anything else with the hindrances other than to recognize them as a hindrance. Yeah. Jen, why is it important to recognize what you said, like the hindrance is not there. You said it's presence or it's absence, but if ill will is not present, why is it still important to realize, to think about the thing? Like, shouldn't you just not think about that? <laughs> I was by that? So I don't know if you guys could hear this question that Laura had, so I'm just going to paraphrase it. It's an excellent question. Why do we have to, and she helped me remember that this is like the really important part. Why do we need to be mindful of it's, the hindrances not being present? Why do we need to be mindful that restlessness and anxiety is not present. And here's why. Because if we have a moment where the, the hindrances are not present and we are aware of our state of mind, then we're being mindful of the quality of mind. And that's the direction of the Buddha. But also, if we recognize that ill will is not present, if we've been plagued by ill will for the last week and we recognize in a moment that ill will is not present, then we have a direct experience of the impermanence of ill will. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And that the practice is working. Right. Yeah. Without, without claiming. Without yes. craving for it to last. I don't have to make ill will go away. Mm -hmm. Look, it's just not here. And it's not pulling you into the future or the past. 
So it truly is being present. The absence of it and being able to recognize it is living your life in the present. Yep. Okay, so now moving on to the mindfulness of the five clinging aggregates. This is more of the Buddha's words. Furthermore, when one remains mindful of the quality of the mind in reference to the five clinging aggregates, remain mindful of form and the arising and passing away of form. Remain mindful of feelings and the arising and passing away of feelings. Remain mindful of perceptions and the arising and passing away of perceptions. Remain mindful of fabrications and the arising and passing away of fabrications. Remain mindful of consciousness and the arising and passing away of consciousness. In this way, one remains mindful of the five clinging aggregates and the arising and passing away of the five clinging aggregates, independent of and not clinging to anything in the world. This is how one remains mindful of the five clinging aggregates in and of themselves. So notice that in Dhamma practice, we remain mindful of form arising and passing away. That doesn't mean we don't, we're not aware of form. It means that we just recognize form in the moment we, we have a body. We notice things going on with the body. We notice that it's d- distracting my mind in this moment and it's passing away. And now I'm no longer distracted. Um, But we don't want to be identifying with that form, the feelings, the perceptions, the fabrications, or the consciousness. When we... So form, feelings, perceptions, fabrications, consciousness arises and passes away on its own within our experience. This is the experience of phenomena. It's when we identify with one of those aggregates that we begin to cling ourselves into this knot of form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications, consciousness, all kind of glommed together, or maybe just a form and a feeling, or maybe just form, but whatever it is, we're, we've sort of mushed them together as defining our, us, me, how I explain myself to myself in the story of suffering. So again, if we can just remain mindful of watching the form arise and pass away, watching our awareness around a feeling, our awareness around a thought arise and pass away. Allow that to just occur without me needing it to be different, without me needing to get to the bottom of it, without being aversed, without clinging, without craving. That's Dhamma practice. So you don't have to not have a fabrication or perception. You just have to watch it arise and pass away. That's it. That's all I got to say on the matter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to end there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I am going to go online first. Let's see. Let's start with Sammy. You're my first box. 
You don't have to say anything. If you have a question, you can ask it. You I can didn't take no silence. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you so much. This is lovely. So very insightful. Thank you, Jen. Thanks. That's great. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much. Thank you for this was a great class. I'm not sure if I have any questions yet. Okay. I'm still processing everything. Got it. Understood. Well, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Brian. Jen, thank you. What's up? Uh, what's up? <laughs> I, this is probably the third or fourth time I've heard this. The first time I, I realized that he's, he's simultaneously going horizontal and vertical. Mm-hmm. Where the, the session last week was talking about the four frames of reference, and those four frames of reference encase the aggregates and they encase the hindrances. Yep. And then he takes the last frame of reference and he starts drilling down into it. Yep. And if you're questioning what is what is the quality of mind, mm-hmm. what does that mean? It just it was just described to you. So it's it, it's always fascinating to me to see how the Buddha structures his Dhamma to be multi-dimensional. Yep. And this this sutta is just a, a perfect example of that. So thank you. Yeah. Yep. It's a little summary in the beginning and then it's spirals around. It gets a little more specific and a little more specific and a little more specific, yep. but then it also goes and like sequentially. Just, yeah, it's crazy. And it's just constantly supporting itself the entire way down the spiral. Yep. Which is crazy. Thank you. Um, John, you're next. Oh, you're muted. You're muted, John. The dog's been talking. That's why. Oh, uh, thank you. It was just a, another great class. Um, I'm glad that we excluded the other teachers, and it's just us teaching this off at the Panasuka. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> it just, it, it, the schedule just worked out that way. People yeah. have to leave us. <laughs> come here. Come on. Here. What's the matter with you? Can you be different than you are? What's wrong with you? Good dog. Yeah, he's always got to throw his two cents in. When are you awakened? What is that? It's a big deal about it. Uh, just an outstanding class. The importance of, of the, what, the focus that you put on it, and Brian talking about this multi-nuanced uh, sutta, it's just that. It's a, it's a very simple and straightforward sutta that first teaches us how to meditate and then how to recognize when we're not concentrated. Yep. And, and then it provides a broader framework for how to actually recognize that in all these nuanced areas of our lives. But it's all just presented in this neat little package. You never bark when I'm talking. And so this is one of the most misunderstood suttas where many people take the whole sutta as instruction. In other words, okay, now let me meditate on this aspect and that aspect. Uh, we get later into it and they start picking apart, or some people pick apart the seven factors of awakening and make mm-hmm. one of them their whole dhamma practice, where all that this sutta is about is what Brian just pointed out. It's just very nuanced applications of the dhamma, and it's taught so we can recognize it. So recognizing that, Ill will is no longer present in my mind, is one of the, the 
um, major breakthroughs of understanding, as Siddhartha would put it, the Buddha would put it, because I was full of ill will my whole life, and I never could understand why. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I hated most everybody, starting with myself. Mm -hmm. And no matter how wonderful experience was, there was always that dark side. Yep. You know, there's always there's something wrong here. You know, yep. that brand new bike on Christmas. Well, you know, maybe I won't get another mm -hmm. one next year, whatever it might be. Yeah. And we drive ourselves crazy because we don't recognize the, the arising and the passing away of stress and suffering. And so being present in this moment for the lack of it in this moment. For whatever reason, it might not even be dollar factors. I might have just run the energetic out of my body, but to recognize in this moment, there's no ill will. What does it feel like? It feels great. Yeah. How did I do yeah. it? I think Uncle Sid was right. Let me do more of it. Yeah. Otherwise, you said it, and then it becomes self-encouraging. Yeah. But we have to be there looking at the... the it, it's, like, it's like looking at a, a cut you had on your arm, and over time it heals. And so eventually you look down and the heal the wound is healed. We're doing the same thing with our minds. Yeah. But if we don't recognize it, we're gonna keep picking up the scan because of conditioned thinking, mm -hmm. because it's us. When we when we disidentify, when we stop taking stress and suffering personally, then there's no scab to pick off. Mm -hmm. We're just present. And we're present for the for the so called good and the bad which, as it turns out, is just part of life. Yeah. And it really is. It's, you know, it's, it's the, light switch, the light switch metaphor. We wouldn't realize how wonderful our human life is if we didn't first understand the nature of our own greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. So that we can live in the world liberated. It's just, it's just what's occurring. Here's my mind. You know, I, heard some, I accidentally heard somebody say something, and it got a reaction in my mind. Well, now... I don't have to blame that person or a whole group of people for how I'm feeling because I'm in control of it. I don't have to feel any other way than what I want to feel ever again. That's liberation. Thank you all. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Jane. Oh. Well, it's hard to follow John and Bodie, but... <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you for a great class, Jen. Um, first of all, it's very inspiring to see there's some new people. Yeah. As far as the teaching, um, you know, I, I used to think mindfulness was about controlling what's in my mind. You know, and mindful is all about I'm mindful what I'm thinking and what I should be thinking. And it was all that clinging. And, and now I understand that it's being aware you know, and letting things arise and pass away. And I am noticing it off the cushion, too. It's not like I have to set my watch and, okay, check your mind right now. It'll just be an awareness, you know, that I have a peaceful quality of mind. So, yeah. Thank you. That's great. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Julia, did you have a question? Yes. Um, so, I'm not sure how to ask this. So, not taking things personally when people are talking and kind of, um, kind of me just being and realizing that, you know, it could be them projecting or just like letting things pass through my ears, like as if I'm listening to music. So, 
I try to do that. And then I think like, okay, am I not setting a, bo- a boundary then? Got it. So I have trouble right. distinguishing between like really what this person saying to me might not always bother me and I could just let it go through my years. But then I'll sit there and be like, well, am I supposed to care that they said that to me? <laughs> am I? <laughs> yeah, I totally, I actually was having this conversation with Laura on retreat about just the the practice giving you a peace of mind so that you can behave skillfully in the world so i can't tell you what you're supposed to be doing in that moment you know that specific moment that you had where somebody says something to you that's you know offensive or or whatever it is um, or has, you know, create some kind of reaction in you. But if you practice, if you use this practice and as you get better at it, you will know when it is time to say something and when it is not. Uh, not only that, you'll become more, huh, aware oh. Of your oh, own oh, mind. Oh. Hold on a second. How do I? How do I mute? John, can you mute your? Oh, he's muted. Okay, good. Um, you'll become more aware of your own boundaries, and be able to skillfully communicate those boundaries to other people without. In, in in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases without offending them, you know, just because you're not taking it personally. Uh. So you're not like, just like not, you know, just sitting there in a meditation pose when somebody's like, you know, <laughs> screaming insults at you, but you're, you, you know what to do in that moment so that you can get yourself out of the situation or you can say what you need to say or you can communicate what's coming up for you it's like that does that make sense yeah. makes perfect sense oh, thank good. you no problem yeah and, and Julia, you know the the um the virtuous aspects of the eightfold path as you begin to integrate them simply do just what they're designed to do they, they form the framework and the guidance for your life so you don't have to be even thinking in this moment i mean you will be you'll be very well concentrated as you continue to develop the dharma but you won't have to think about what's right because you'll know that i, I live within the framework of right speech and right action and right livelihood and so and that's that is very simple so in the moment when we're practicing right speech and somebody's in front of us that might want to argue and it isn't, we simply don't. But we can do it in a very graceful way because we understand what, what that other person is going through, why they want to engage us in, in argument rather than calm. And again, through that understanding, we're able to leave most situations gracefully and peacefully. But sometimes we just, because that another, because the situation is so egregious, we simply have to walk away. And that becomes much easier when we realize we're not out here to save the planet or save other people. We're here to awaken, and then we can be present for other people. Yeah, yeah and, and just to, um, just 10 seconds on my own personal experience with the Dhamma is, you know, setting a boundary 
was has become setting boundaries with other people has become much easier as I've gotten more into this practice because I can recognize what is coming up for me, where my boundary is, and without there being 10 other like viewpoints and ideas and like, well, maybe I should like, well, they're the way they feel is and how come, you know, and I can just center, figure out where I'm at and then clearly and directly communicate that and let the chips fall where they may. And it's much more, way more peaceful. Yeah. And because there is no reaction from you, yeah. there's much less chance that there's going to be a reaction yeah. from, the, from the outside. Right. And if the other person reacts, even when they do react, it's, it doesn't, it just land, it just it kind of land, you go, you go, oh, wow, you know, they're reacting to my boundary. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a drag for them. Again, <laughs> a lot of times, situations that might have gotten out of hand, yeah don't because we're simply present for it. Yeah. No, and we're not, we're not, as we develop the battle, we're, we're less prone to reacting initially. Wait, uh, just the other day I got a, um, uh, a food delivery and I, it's a little bit hard to find my house and this person got out of their, <coughs> excuse me, SUV kind of screaming at me. And, you know, and I, I just said the directions are there and I, I spoke calmly with him and then it became apparent that um, he had some some mental problems. He was, you know, he was he, he wasn't able to con completely control himself. And I just asked him a question. I said, "I'm sorry that that this happened to you." And I looked in his eyes. I said, "Are you okay?" And he he calmed down. You know, he just he stayed present. And he said, and he just said, "I am now." And you know, that was it. And again, five years ago, I would have been defending myself and telling the guy what a moron he is if you can't follow directions and. You know, just to prove me right. And all I would have been doing in that situation would be to hurt him further and hurt myself. You know, but I had a nice meal and, you know. And he got a little insight to, because of Siddharth and what he taught 2,600 years ago, he got a little break from humanity in that moment. Yeah. And it wasn't because I'm so great, you know. I, I didn't figure out how to do this. I just followed somebody else. But this is what I mean when I say the most loving thing I can do for myself and all of the sentient beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. And, you know, that to me, that's just a, a good example of that. I don't, I spent most of my life arguing with people and proving how right I was, and I don't do that anymore. Except for the Dhamma. Don't mess with me with the Dhamma. <laughs> all right, Dev. How's it going, Dev? Hey, John. Hey. Hey, Dev. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Hi. Um, well, if you're saying it's my turn to talk, I was just going to say, it's definitely not your turn. No, well, I, I, uh, I like to continue listening. I'm, I, I appreciate your, how you, how you've explained it. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Rom, so... Did we hear from Brian? We did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was talk about, talked about vertical oh, articulation, right. horizontal yeah. articulation. Wrong. Sure to, <laughs> to continue with that, um, and I've heard this now, <laughs> I've read it a dozen times, 
and all you know as you were as you were going through it's like oh this part is just about state of mind mm-hmm that's it okay you know, <laughs> it, you know but it's it's a lot the uh, yeah. the Sutta Sutta yeah. but it is so I was gonna say it's so well written you know, yeah it wasn't written but it is just so well put together yeah it's as a as a guide to practice, it's just unsurpassed. Yeah, for it's sure. Just hey, come hey, Rob? Yeah. Hey, could, could you point the camera? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob, I know you probably have read other um, translations of the Satipatthana Sutta. Uh-huh. Does it come out this clear? Because um, a lot of these characteristics are given mystical connotations in many of them. Yeah, I can't say that I have uh, done a detailed read of other uh, other translations and other restorations, um, but the way this comes out, and you know, I don't know how much uh, that that you uh, cleaned this up, but uh, it is superbly clear. Uh, yeah, the point is and, and useful. Yeah, as you, as you strip away everything that is magical, mystical, or speculative and doesn't fit in the context of dependent origination and four noble truths, this is what is left. And it's just, mm-hmm. it, again, it's just an obvious teaching on, you know, meditate and then watch for these things as they arise and pass away. Actually, to, to, uh, to say some more on that, um, last... January we had a, uh, yeah. a retreat here and I taught the last part of, of this sutta and for that I just pulled up uh, I think a German translation and uh, just to get you know just to see okay you know where where are we here is this you know is there any more is there any less uh, and you know your translation came out crystal clear so uh, I do that from time to time, not to not to yeah. doubt you, but I just want to get you know as, as much clarity as I can. So. Yeah, and a little ammunition for argument, but that's okay. Then I enjoy it. <laughs> Mary, so um, understanding the five clinging aggregates as what we call ourself. Um, was really transformational for me that understanding the clinging of form feeling perception mental fabrication and and you'll hear yourself like if you take that nugget as the realization that this is not me this is not mine this is not who i am um you'll hear yourself you know using the word i i feel i am i'm upset all those things fall into those five clinging aggregates they're impermanent and probably not very necessary and when you think everybody has that feedback loop and if you think about it's impermanent it's not you but we all like get into that justification or ready for that playground fight um because of the five clinging aggregates and not understanding that they're impermanent so I'm looking at one of the things on the wall here, John, where after it says that which is impermanent is anatta, 
it is not self, right? And then the next square is what those moments of awakening. So rather than clinging to form, this is me, I'm too heavy, I'm too thin, I'm whatever, all those things, it's a dispassionate point of reference and taking the self-referential out of it. I mean, realizing how self-referential we are every day in everything we do and every reaction that then causes us to fight to protect this mm. is what really takes us off the path. And then, you know, feelings, dispassionate point of reference within impermanence, you know, like getting to a place where you can think that, you know, well, that's how I feel. You know, so you have to justify how I feel. I'm telling you this is how I feel. So this is like it's something real as opposed to using the practice to be able to come to some level of equilibrium and realize that it's about having a dispassionate point of reference to your <clears throat> feeling because it's impermanent. Same with perceptions, same with mental fabrications. Like we hold on to the, or I speak for myself, we hold on to these mental fabrications about how we were brought up or what we thought our life was going to be like or what we thought being Mrs. So-and-so or in a couple or a mother or all these identities that, you know, are no more real than anything else. And, and, and we can really like lose our way for sure. Mm. And so even in those moments, and this is what the practice is about, is identifying when you're in that moment, getting a chuckle out of it, as Larry was saying, and being able to, just by realizing you're in that, step back, and that's a, a early processing of letting it go, and getting yourself back into the Eightfold Path is mm. the only way out of that, mm. because it, it's just... We all know what that feels like. We usually feel it afterwards. Or we wake up the next day and we're like, God, I really screwed that up. Or mm. <laughs> I brought too much passion to that conversation or whatever. You have to be gentle with yourself. I think that, I think the practicality of that, this is what so, brings so yeah. many of us to this. And the gentleness of it, because you can wake up the next morning or an hour after that, whatever experience you had, even if it was just between you and your mind, and recognize it for what it was, and pivot. Mm. Ooh, I just recognized yeah. it, and we pivot. Don't, we don't need to self-identify mm -hmm. with our feelings. We don't need to do that in order to like... But we cling be those able five to, together. ...to exist and, and function. Right. That's what I heard you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we think our personality yeah, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who I am. Uh, well, I can't do that because I'm just that way. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's um, clinging aggregates. That's yeah. what it is. I'm going to go to Ilya because of the way the camera is. Oh. Right, thank you for the teaching. <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah. It doesn't yep. seem yeah. very complicated. Yeah. Yep. Not, I, don't, I don't have anything to add to it. Well, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> How about Bridget? Thank no you pressure. for the teaching. I actually do have a question. Oh, okay, good. Um, so I bounced around a little bit, kind of just scrolling through the podcasts and saying, oh, today I'm going to listen to this one. Yeah, yeah. So I realized there was kind of a gap in my understanding of today's teaching when you were talking about um, 
the hindrances. Okay. And you were talking about um, doubt and uncertainty. Yeah. And I was able to easily connect experiences I've had to the other hindrances. Uh -huh. But I wasn't really sure exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about like doubt and uncertainty. Is that with regard to the practice or? Uh, yeah, great question. So, so yes, and the other, you know, and not the practice. So when you feel uncertain, when you recognize that there's uncertainty in the mind, like could be uncertainty about anything. You're not sure how something's going to play out. You don't know how this project, you don't have control over your children. You know, <laughs> the uncertainty of that can be very distracting. You can get into like the mm -hmm. whole mapping out of like, what are all the things I need to do to make sure that I'm going to have certainty? Yeah. How can I make, make, yeah. How can I be yeah, certain? Fear. Yeah. And then doubt is kind of like the same arena as uncertainty. I feel like it's, um, and I, I'm not, this is like more of a Ron John question, but are these just one word that was the original, just one word. And then the translation is doubt and uncertainty. Cause we can't really like it's come doubt. up with a word. It's doubt. I feel it's that just doubt, doubt is a bit more self-generated. Okay. And, and, and uncertainty is more of a reaction to what's happening in the outside of the world. Um, so you think like doubt is the first sort of the first thing to arise and then uncertainty kind of comes along after that yeah um, but but the other thing is that one second John this <clears throat> relates more to the practice yeah actually it's right. it's the most important um, thing to remember in doubt and uncertainty when it applies to the practice that you realize that and i've heard you say that yeah it's just doubt and uncertainty yeah you don't need to map it out get all weird just realizing that it's just there isn't yeah and you know what it's gonna go away yeah and also and, yeah so when you let that not be a reason to not practice, stop practice. yeah not be on the cushion yeah John, did you want to say something? Yeah, that, again, the doubt and uncertainty is something that's plain and simple. We understand what it means. And as far as Donna practice, when doubt arises, it's a lack of inner poise that we develop through the Dhamma. So the Dhamma itself is a counter to uh, our own doubt and uncertainty. But whenever doubt or uncertainty is arising, it's because I'm trying to take control of something that I have no control over, meaning what's going on in the world or other people or even my own mind, because up until this point, it hasn't been very well controlled. And I, and I could doubt myself, except this is where the Eightfold Path comes in. I know when, I'm, when I've integrated the Eightfold Path and I'm working within those, that framework, there is no doubt or uncertainty because I understand where I'm going. And where I'm going is recognizable because now I'm able to abandon doubt and uncertainty when it arises, take a breath, and move into the next moment. With the, the notion that I don't need to know everything, I just need to be calm and present for what's here. 
because then these are truly a reference point to what's occurring. But anytime doubt and uncertainty arises, it, the, the most immediate um, effect would be to take us off our cushion. So the, yeah. the, the most immediate application yeah. or what to be mindful of is don't let it because that's what will happen. Is it, uh, Bridget, you may have been studying in some other schools, and just if you may, you may have come across the notion in many Zen schools that doubt is something that we should cultivate and go deep into and, and, and have deep experiences and analyze it to death, and that's fine, but it's not this practice. So um, if we, we usually say this at the beginning of every class, and we need to start doing it more often. What we practice is what is presented on... Uh, our website, becoming-buddha.com, and we don't teach anything outside of that because what we found is that this is what the Buddha taught and that it delivers exactly what he said he promised. It's a, it's a clear path that anybody can undertake. We all have developed it to certain, you know, different levels, um, but it cannot be compared to anything else out there. And that's not to be exclusive. It's just the way this is. Siddhartha used to talk about looking at this as his pure jewel and keep it that way. It doesn't mean that any that other things out there aren't um, helpful, meaningful, useful, needful, but Dhamma practices us just this, and it develops that profound inner poise where there's simply no battle uncertainty left in your life. So a, a great question, and it shows that you're, you're going in the right direction. You're seeing things clearly. So thank you. <laughs> Yeah. So, and you got that on the, that was, you were, you were bouncing around on this website, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do want to say that the Dhamma, the way that it's presented here is what's yeah. attracted me and kept my interest so yeah. long. Yeah. I had been introduced to something else uh-huh. and it felt like I was switching one thing I couldn't believe in for another thing I I almost want to like segue right into the seven factors because it's not a passive practice either. You're developing these wholesome skills, these wholesome states of mind, and you should recognize them. Again, mm. You can't force yourself to wrestle down a hindrance. It's going to arise and pass away whether you're there or not. Yeah. Your mindfulness just puts you in a place where you're aware of it. You know, to Laura's point, you're just aware that ill will is not there. Mm. You're not wrestling it down to the ground. Mm. But the practice of jhana meditation is like this tool that allows you to have this mindfulness to be aware of it and to be joyfully engaged in it and to participate in it each moment and then you're really starting to rewire how you think mm. that's really what's happening 
Laura, can you guys see Laura? I think so. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everyone, for your helpful comments, um, David and Bridget. Um, especially what you were just saying just now reminded me kind of how important how important this teaching is. Um, previously, I guess my tendency was to try to like purge or mask or like run away from or avoid, you know, hindrances. But, you know, with this practice, I can recognize, like Jen, you explained so well after I asked that question, I can recognize their presence or their absence without any kind of mystical, you know, thinking or get, getting caught up in some other you know, philosophy or whatever. And then, like you said, Jen, have that direct experience of their impermanence before, and letting go before it escalates into wrong action. And mm. I'm seeing that now. Yeah. Like, if I read, like, a disturbing email or, you know, someone says something that upsets me, like, you know, recognizing that before it escalates into me retorting with something I'm going to regret mm. doing something so this is such a great class thank you yeah. glad you're here Laura thanks Jen. Matt yeah thank you Jen excellent um, really good to hear everybody tonight and uh, I'll take a little silence all right so if nobody has anything else then i will finish with the karaniya metasutta this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace let them be able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech humble and not conceited contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should, all one, should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Thank you, Jen. Great job. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thank you.
Thank you so much. Bye. Bye, John. Good night. Night, night. Thanks, John. I will see you soon. All right. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.